Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Okay, the topic for today is core values. Now, whether we know it or not, or whether we can express them or not, we all have core values. You see, core values are the guiding principles that determine our behaviors and our priorities. As individuals, we normally absorb these from our parents, so they embed them in us in a very early age. In the case of organizations, it's normally the founders who entrench the core values, and they write them out in the Constitution or in the mission statement. Now, the observable evidence of core values is the way we live, either individually or corporately, and what we say and do, and how we prioritize, how we make our decisions as to what's more important than other things. Core values flow out of an appreciation of who we are, and that is a fundamentally important thing. Let me give you an example. If I define myself primarily as a parent, then my core values will reflect this focus in such things as nurture, education, protection, and so on. It doesn't mean I will be solely focused on these, but these will be the core most important things that will drive me and pull me into the future, and I will use them, whether consciously or subconsciously, to set priorities and to make decisions. Now, if I see myself primarily as a Christian, on the other hand, who may be a church leader and also may be a family member, but primarily as a Christian, then my core value will flow from that source of identity. You see, I would see myself in the following statement. I am a child of God, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and a Christian brother in God's household, the church. Obviously, for brother, you would read and or sister. Now, the relationship between identity, core values, and behavior is important to understand. You see, identity yields core values, and core values in turn yield our behaviors and our priorities. Behaviors flow out of our core values, our key principles of living, and these in turn are formed by our self-identity. Now, if I take as an example the local church, I would see the identity of a local church as follows. I'd say I A local church is an extended family of God in a specific location, centered on Jesus, prescribed by the Word of God, and dependent on the Holy Spirit. So that's how I would understand the identity of a local church. So if I can take that and give an example of how uh, the church that I pastored for nearly three decades applied that identity and how the core values flowed out of that. You see... I had the privilege of establishing the church such a long time ago, and right in the early days, we set out our core values under an acronym of RODES, R-O-A-D-S. The R stood for Relationship, O for Outreach, A for Anointing, D for Doctrine, and S for Structure. We saw those as describing our five clusters of core values, key foundational principles. And then under each of those headings, we developed a compact statement of our core beliefs. For instance, let me give a, a for instance on this. Under the heading of relationship, we wrote, We are a church family in relationship with God and each other within an environment of order, participation, and accountability. We value and seek to practice love and acceptance 
and see our church as a city of refuge. We are principle, value and relationship based rather than rules or results based. Ministries are motivated from within rather than imposed from without. Leadership's primarily role is to serve, equip and facilitate rather than initiate programs. So it's quite full and you can understand that from this compact statement a whole list of clear core values can be identified. For instance, we are principle, value and relationship rather than rules and results. We want to focus on what's right in principle and what has value and what is in terms of relationship with God and each other. We, we're not focused on rules and we're not focused on results at all costs. Another core value that comes out of it is church family rather than family church. We aren't just a church that families come to and that other folk might come to. We are a church family. The church itself is an extended family. Third core principle, order and participation and accountability. We believe that we need to be accountable and within godly order, yet that need, there needs to be high levels of participation. Fourth core value, love and acceptance in truth. Fifth, Ministries are motivated from within rather than imposed from the top. It's not the leaders who determine what the church is always going to do. It's the parts of the body, the members who see opportunities rise up and the, and the leaders facilitate and a ministry grows out of that. Six, leadership is seen as serving, equipping and facilitating rather than initiating programs, not program driven. And seventh, a focus on discipleship. So that is walking with other people in relationship with Jesus and each other and helping each other along the way, the road of the Christian life. Okay, so it's quite easy, surely, to see how these core values uh, play a major role in decision-making and priority-setting and even behavior regulation for that matter. You see, when it comes to making a decision, there should be a simple maxim and it should go something like this. Does this thing we want to do or not to do, does this strengthen and promote our core values or does it undermine them? Decision making becomes less complicated. It still is complex in some areas. But the key issue is we have core values. What we want to do, does it strengthen these? Does it promote these or does it undermine them? If it undermines them, don't do it. If it strengthens and promotes them, then on to the next phase of can we afford it? How costly in terms of time and, and so on and so forth. Okay, there are two main challenges to the simple model. The first is keeping the values, the behavior and the relationship and the identity all in their proper priority order, the right way up in other words, and two, resolving perceived tensions between different values. The first keeping the value relationship structure, core value to identity in its right order. So if an organization, a community, in our case the local church, loses sight of its core values, then surely its behaviors and its priorities will erode or even change over time. You see, new members and leaders will come into the church and they'll come in bringing with them often quite divergent and contradictory values which they have developed or picked up from other church communities. And now these folk will evidence these values through their behavior. 
So if there are enough of such, I call them new people, and it's not to, to denigrate new people, but enough of this inflow of folk with different core values, and they have not been properly inducted into the church value system, then the church as a community will start to adopt these different patterns of behavior. They'll go to the new norm. And if this is left unchecked, then some of the existing core values will be effectively replaced, even though the official statements of the church will still enshrine them. And when this happens, when, when the church says it's doing one thing and actually is behaving in a different way, then there will be tension. And this tension could even result in church split. And it will certainly result in a church community that says one thing and is doing something else, living a lie. So what's the solution to that particular challenge? Well, I think the solution is to ensure at all times that new people, new members coming in, are properly inducted into the value system of the church as early as possible. You see, we should be saying, hey guys, you know, we're not, not absorbing uh, your values. You are coming into a family value system. These are our values. Now, if you want to be a member, you need to, to conform a better word is adopt, buy into these values. And when it comes to leaders, I believe that well-established church leaders, men and women who deeply understand the church's core values, need, they need to disciple new leaders that are coming in. Spend quality one-on-one -on -one time with them, talking about the values, giving examples, leading by example. Preachers, whoever they may be, need to regularly teach into these core values. And of course, ultimately, actions speak louder than words. So the way the church operates and prioritizes its time and resources will always be the best teacher of its value system. <clears throat> Resolving perceived tensions between different values is the second major challenge. You see, what sometimes happens is that two core values appear to be in tension with each other. Let me give you a for instance. So one core value might be, as I believe it should, church is a family. While another core value might well be numeric growth is important. So here's the challenge. How can a church family grow bigger, numerically, number-wise, without compromising its value of family participation and accountability? Everybody known, everybody seeking ministry area, and so on and so forth. Okay, a church family must surely grow in maturity, but if it's going to endure through time, and not just die out through old age, then it must also grow numerically. So, are these two principles in conflict? Or, if they are perceived to be in conflict, how do we resolve them? First question is, are, are they both regarded as equally core values? You see, if numeric growth and family orientation are both seen as core guiding principles within the church, then the leaders have to find a way of expressing both without compromising either. I'm going to say that again. A way of expressing both without compromising either. See, building a much bigger auditorium in order to allow for numeric growth. You know, let's build this place bigger. Let's put another 500 seats and then the people can come in and we'll grow in numbers. Well, that could, and in my opinion would, seriously compromise the family value. It could even ultimately destroy it. Actually, I believe there is a resolution to this kind of perceived problem. I believe that church leaders need to consider 
how the church community can reproduce itself. It isn't so much for me a question of packing more people in. It's a question of seeing the bigger picture. How can this local family reproduce so that the families of God in the area and vicinity and for as far as their circle of influence is, how can they thrive and grow and become more? The way to do that, I think, is to seek creative alternatives. For instance, they could plant another congregation. They call church plants. Or they could establish a network of independent but codependent, if, they, if you know what I understand by that, churches in the area. Independent make their own decisions, but they are codependent in, in that they have their roots and their, their family back at Mother Church. These could be as small as 30, 40, even 20 people at a time. House church movement is something like that. Or they could meet regularly in small groups and then only occasionally in the larger congregation. That's a possibility. So over the centuries, church leaders around the world have recognized these things and experimented with them, some with wonderful success and some with abysmal failure. Some have then said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just continue to replace attrition. So when people leave and go overseas or move to a different city or die of old age or sickness or whatever it is, then we will allow for growth to replace them and nothing more. The total number of people in our church will therefore stay the same, but we will endure because we're constantly replenishing. Others, on the other hand, have said, that's too tough a call, and they've abandoned the family value, and they've gone all out for the mega model, which is top-down, CEO, strong leadership, program-driven, and so on. So, for me, the big intention here isn't trying to find a right or a wrong, but the big issue is intentionality. We really need to be intentional about what we do with our core values. As an individual, or as a family, or as an organization, we will behave and prioritize according to our core values. So we better be intentional about establishing and preserving our core values. If we do, then we and our families and our churches will thrive in a godly fashion. But if we do not, I am convinced that we will default to something that may well no longer express who we actually believe we are. Remember, identity yields values. Values yields behavior and priorities. Yeah, but it also works in reverse, you see. What can happen is if we behave in one way consistently enough, then our core values will become eroded and changed. And that, in fact, will ultimately give us a new identity. We will no longer be the church we sought to be. So, at a personal level, if maybe you feel a little adrift in this life, you know, it's it's kind of what am I doing here and so on. And if decision making is quite a painful and confusing process for you, perhaps the best advice I could give is, hey, it's time to re-examine your core values. Sit down again and say, who am I? What am I? What do I believe is really the most important thing? And then you can ask the question, how then should I be expressing these? When our children grow into their teenage years, we can help them to go through a similar process. We can spend time and tremendous effort with them in inculcating these core values, primarily through example and discussion, of course. If we are leaders among leaders in our church community, key leaders, and new leaders join our church, then we can disciple them. 
and we can help the leadership team to understand and buy into our core values as a church. If there appears to be a tension between different values, then what I would suggest is that you schedule a workshop to carefully evaluate the core values and to find a way of resolving the tension. Okay, let me end maybe where I should have started with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our perfect example in all things. Now, Jesus knew his identity. He knew exactly who he was. And therefore, he was committed to death, to the core values that flowed from that identity. And then he expressed those core values in everything he said and did. Do you remember the wonderful foot-washing scene that's found in John chapter 13? Wonderful. Well, it starts with these words. Let me just read them to you. It says, Jesus knew that his Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothes, and wrapped a towel round his waist. And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. That's in John 13, verses 3 to 5, by the way. So, Jesus knew that he was the Son of God. And so, a core value from him was self-giving service. That was his core value. And it has to be the same for us if we truly are his disciples. Because you know why? Well, because he concluded that wonderful presentation of his core values. In John 13, verses 14 and 15, he concludes with these words. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. There is the playing out of the relationship between identity, yielding core values, yielding behavior and priorities. Okay, stand by for the normal QA with my daughter Corin, as sure to be as lively as ever. Hey, Daddy. Hi there. We're going to talk about the core values today. And you talk about the pyramid, keeping, keeping this pyramid the right way up. And, and you've got an illustration of a pyramid, and to me it looks upside down. So what do you mean by keeping it the right way up? Okay, so the, the pyramid is upside down because the smallest component of it is the identity. But in fact, that's the deepest part. That's the part like an iceberg, which hold the, holds the whole iceberg in position and keeps it afloat. Mm-hmm. Coming out of that comes the core values. Flowing out of that comes the behaviors and priorities. So the behaviors and priorities, like an iceberg, are the things that can be seen above the surface. What we do, what we say, how we prioritize things. But they're influenced by our core value, which in turn actually is formed by how we see ourselves. Now, if that pyramid flips over, uh, what happens is our behaviors and priorities slowly start to change because we haven't considered them, because we have outside influences, because in Christian terms we backslide or whatever Mm. it is. And given long enough, if that's unchecked, then that starts to affect our core values. Mm. And that then changes who we actually are. And then we wind up with a terrible tension where the behaviors have influenced the core values, which influence who we actually are. And we one day suddenly stop in our tracks and say, I'm not who I thought I was. Mm. I'm not actually living like I say. I am. Sure. 
Okay, you apply this um, to the church and you explain about how you helped set up the seven core values. My question is, you know, you, you say people coming in and out and they bring their own values and their own identities and everything with them. So how do you keep churches from flipping their pyramids? You know, very similar way to the way that I think individuals should. And the first thing is that periodically we need to take stock of who we are what our values are and what we actually are doing and saying. Mm. And, you know, once a year is uh, kind of a minimum. Uh, Israel, God put into Israel some wonderful festivals. Uh, Three times a year they had to look back and consider who they are. Mm. The covenant people of God, they had to celebrate again the things that God had done for them in crossing the Red Sea and Passover and so on and Mm. so forth. And that rooted them back in their identity as the children of God, the promised nation and so on. So, so from time to time, and annually is a good time, mm. individuals and churches, we should be stopping and saying, right, let's spend time. Mm. Let's just again consider, how do I see myself? What actually are my core values? And then am I actually living to those? Mm. Or is there now a slip? Do my behaviors and my priorities say something different from what I believed my core values were? So applied to a, a church situation, is that a, a board meeting? Is that all the church members? Is that an a, you know, outside person? Okay, well, you know, that again depends an awful lot in the way that the church is structured. Mm. Some, stru- some churches are structured as one-man bands. You know, you have the super pastor at the top and sometimes a little band of happy uh, uh, supporters yeah. called elders. Poopies. Yeah, and then the people who basically fill the seats and put the money in the bag. Yeah. I mean, I'm, being a, I'm being a bit facetious, yeah, no, me too. but that is actually what's, what sometimes happens. Mm. But if you have a church structure where you actually have a, a lead pastor or a, a lead elder who sets the direction, but he's actually part of a band of covenant brothers, a plurality of elders, then and if the members then have a say in, in governance and so mm. on, then where it has to start is that that lead elder should be calling his eldership team at least once a year. I used to do it every single year for nearly 30 years. Sit with the eldership team and say, let's look again, guys. How do we see our church? What are our core values? Do we still believe in those core values? Mm. And what we are doing and the priorities, the way we make decisions and so on, is that actually reflecting what we say our core values are? And then if the people have a say, then they should also be holding the elders accountable to that. So if they see slippage, then then members should be coming along to their elders and saying, hey, I don't think we're behaving the way you guys say we should. Mm. Something slipped between our value system and our behaviors. Okay, so you're saying if a member sees something that, that is in actual their, their church value um, documentation, let's say, you know, the core of the of their church. If they see something that is different, they can go up. But now, what happens if a member comes in and discovers a core value that they don't believe to be necessarily right? What what happens then? Okay, so first of all, I think there should always be an induction process of new folk coming mm. into a church. Here, the idea is this: a church is an established family. Mm. And an established family that has an identity and has values and a set of behaviors and beliefs, etc., that flow out of those core values. Mm. 
and somebody wants to join that, they need to be buying into those values. So there needs to be an induction process, a membership class, call it what you will, where they have an opportunity to really think about those values. They present it to them. They think about them. They have an opportunity to question leadership and say, you know, but why, why do you say this is so important and so on? Mm. And then if they're not happy with that, then they, by all means, should not become members. Okay, but let's say they've done everything right. They went to the membership class. Things were discussed. Um, let me use an example of speaking in tongues. So one of their core values is that they they believe in speaking in tongues for the edification of other people. The person becomes a member, and then, I mean, this is just an extreme example, they find that every Sunday they arrive there, the pastor says, hello, and then they speak in tongues for an hour and no one translates. It's still in their core values, How? How? but it's against what they personally believe is of value. Well, what does the person do on their own? Well, again, I mean, speaking in tongues should never be a core value. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, if it was, mm. in this hypothetical case, then surely the person who comes in and has been go- gone through a membership induction and knows that, and they've been attending the church for usually months and months before they become members. Yeah. So they should be fully cognizant of this. And if they can't, if they really don't believe that that's an important value, but yet it's being overdone. Mm. They should be speaking to the leadership, and if the leadership then say, well, toughies, you know, that's the way we are, mm. then why are they wanting to stay there? Mm. They, they should they should move on before they become members. You know, I don't have, as an ex-pastor, I've never had a problem with people coming, staying for a few months, and then saying, listen, you know, actually, this isn't really what I want for church. I don't believe that this is what it should be. Mm. And they move on and there's no hard feeling. Yeah. I have a huge problem as a pastor when people come along come and are inducted. They go through the membership process. They've been there for six months. They become members. And then they say, oh, um, I think I'm going to leave because I don't agree with this and this. Yeah. Say, but hang on. That's who we are. And, you know, we've been through all this with you. Okay, let me give you another example um, of, of core values that I've seen, which is tithing. And say I go and I decide, well, whatever I feel about it, I'm fine with that. A lot of churches believe it. And then they decide, okay, for the next nine months, we're going to focus on just tithing. That's all we're going to preach about. That's all we're going to be pushing. Then again, you know, it's 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 still part of the core values. I knew it going in, but it, uh, I didn't think it would play such a significant role. What does the individual do in that case? Okay, and, and again, this raises uh, another issue you're implying in, in the question. What is a core value and what isn't a core mm. value? You see, we should be taking issue with things that truly are core. Okay. And we should be allowing space to differ on things that aren't core. Yes, okay. Now, something like tithing, which is um, a regulated method, method of giving, is not a core value. Okay. Giving is a core value. Mm. Outward orientation, mm. generosity, those are core values. Yeah. But tithing is a mechanism that some churches adopt. I don't believe it should be holding true yes. for today's church. Um, we've spoken yeah. about that before. But many churches do. Mm. But it's not core. So so really, there might be a season that the church deals with that as part of their teaching program. Mm. But th- that shouldn't be something that people divide over. You know, one of the tragedies of the early charismatic movement was that churches were being split, whole denominations broke down over things like tongues, as if tongues is a core value. Yeah. It isn't. They broke down over things like baby baptism. Yeah. 
Now, I have strong feelings about those things, but it's not core. Yeah. It's not core to salvation. Yeah. And it's not core to the essence of wh- what the church actually is. Okay. So it's actually quite sinful, I think, to be breaking down fellowship and dividing over things that aren't core. Now, if something is a core value or a core doctrine or something, uh, let's take a core doctrine. A core doctrine would be somebody who says, uh, one of our core doctrines is that Jesus is God. Mm. He is divine. He is God the Son. And somebody says, yeah, well, I don't actually believe that. You know, I think we should just all be able to differ on this. I think he was just a good man. No, sorry. Yeah. That is absolutely core theology to a church. Are you using the word a core value and a core doctrine interchangeably there? No, you you know you you have it's the same principle though. You have some doctrines which are essential, mm. like core, and others which are relatively peripheral, and then you have other you have values which are core and values which are relatively peripheral. A core value is something like accountability, uh, fellowship, mm. um, everyone ministering, mm. participating. Those are core values. So when you get that little booklet at your membership class, you should actually be really pouring over it and making sure that the things that they label as most important are what you believe in. Yes, and again, I can only give an example from the church I come from. Uh, There's a little um, book called The Principles of Local Church Membership, which I wrote 20-something years Mm -hmm. ago. If somebody wants to become a member, we have these membership classes about three times a year, maybe four times a year. And then the first thing that happens is they're given a copy of that. Yes. And they tell, please read that and then come to a four-hour session in, say, two weeks' time. Mm. And then you can ask every question you like. And then a couple of the elders attend that and they just say, right, let's just, again, highlight the, the, the really important issues okay. here. Everybody's read through it. Now, ask your questions and let's discuss the points that you don't agree with, etc. Yeah. Then after that, the the focus said, right, no pressure on you. If you if you want to become a member, that's fine. Now we'll take it to the next step. If you don't, that's fine. You'll always be welcome through the doors of our church. You just won't have a vote and a say, and uh, an ability to assume a leadership role. Okay. Um, you've in closing, you spoke about personal core values earlier on, and um, it did remind me. I I, I think that. Um, the staunch Jewish people do actually still do um, Passover. They sort of examine their motives and, and that sort of thing. The, the closest I can think of with with Christians is New Year's resolutions, which doesn't really help. So how would one go about re-examining your own core values? Because how can a sick mind detect what's sick in its mind? <laughs> Okay. First of all, New, uh, New Year's resolutions, I don't think, have anything to do with the issue at all. Mm. Those are just wish lists of things I'd like to change. Yeah. So this year, I'm going to lose two kgs. Yeah. Well, True, yeah. losing two kgs is not a core value. <laughs> so core values are far more fundamental to our lives. Yeah. And I think any um, person who is mentally healthy mm. is able to evidence enough self-reflection to be able to sit down once a year with a Bible and a piece of paper and a couple of hours mm. and, and say, right, let's have a look at these things. Mm. And these things should be written down so that you, you re- revisit them. You go back and say, are those things still the most important things to me? Because if they're not, what's changed? Mm. Have I changed the way I actually understand myself? 
I believe that I'm defined in a certain way. Now, why then am I not living out the values that flow from that? Surely speaking to people that know you well would also be able to help you because they would see the behaviors and patterns and uh, priorities that are the top, per- the, you know, the, the top layer. Yes, if those people are prepared to be honest. <laughs> because, yeah. and you have this in church life as well, um, people are genuinely so kind. Yes. Family members are kind, church members are kind. And, oh, but that's going to be so hurtful to say that. I'll just rather say, no, you, everything's fine. Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's better to sit down, you got God and an honest heart. <laughs> and an honest heart, that's exactly right. And so. would you schedule that? So you say, I mean, if we flip the whole New Year's resolution thing, say so 1st yeah. of January is going to be... Well, well, I do. I happen to do it towards the year end. But okay. the reason for that is because my birthday is on the 22nd. Yes. And um, so between birthday and New Year's Day, <laughs> I, I've spent a lot of time in um, reflection. Okay. And, and I ask these probing questions. And then flowing out of that, I start asking questions like, so therefore... What really lies ahead for the next year? How do I put into practice and give value and priority to the things that I really believe are important? Hmm. Okay, that's oh, that's a much better, much better thing to do than New Year's resolutions. I can't help but think. Yes, um, <laughs> and hopefully one can also lose two k's. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Daddy. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pebbler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, Truth Talks.